Chris, last week we saw Google's Gemini 1.5 with 1 million context window. And we also heard about OpenAI's Sora, which was this incredible video capability. And if you haven't seen OpenAI's Sora, you should definitely check it out. And we were really blown away by both of those announcements. Early in the year, we were super hyped. We're like, the technology is moving incredibly fast. And I didn't really think it would get much better so soon. But this week, despite I think way less hype, we've seen probably one of the biggest breakthroughs yet. And it's a company by the name of Grok. That's not to be confused with Elon Musk Grok or the soft, cuddly plush toy that Grimes released, also called Grok. But Grok is what they call a LPU, Language Processing Unit. And they claim that it's the world's fastest LLM speed. It's a dedicated AI chip that is geared towards inference. And so for those that are like, what's inference? Inference is when the AI is not necessarily learning anything new. It's, it's applying its knowledge that it already has acquired during training to the new data. And the new data in this case being every time you hit send uh, on a message to say ChatGPT, inference is being run over the model to get a response. And Grog is 25 times faster than ChatGPT and 20 times cheaper to run. So it's a huge breakthrough and they have the, the, the chips that they're starting to offer out to, to certain companies. So it has the ability to drive down the costs and dramatically increase the speed at which you can get a response from the LLM. And, and we've been playing around with this. We've, we've actually put it in sim theory to try out. And we are just blown away by the possibilities that this opens up. The speed absolutely matches their claims. It it it's really fast when you try their demo, and it's really fast when you try it via the API. It it isn't an exaggeration to say it's twenty times faster. It's almost other factors in the stack, and now the things that delay it rather than the actual LLM response. So it really, really is exciting, and I'm still sort of ticking over in my head what. Uh, use cases it opens up to have it just so speedy. One of the things you'd spoken to me about many times is the idea that the AI really often needs multiple steps to sort of simulate its thoughts or gather its thoughts before it proceeds with another step, something that was quite time consuming before. Whereas now, because it can happen so quickly, you can actually add that into a process without really any cost in real world clock time and get these much better results by having it do these things. You also think about things like simulations where you're running multiple agents and having them discuss things and, oh, that takes a lot of time and extra tokens. Whereas in this world, that can happen so fast, you barely even notice it. Yeah, I think the the speed, and I, I, I want to bring it up on the screen now for those that watch and, and haven't already tried out Grok, and you can try this out for yourself at grok.com. But if I, if I put in a simple question like, who is the current president? of the usa uh it'll just give me uh, an, an answer straight away i mean i literally hit enter and it comes up so quickly that it almost seems fake it almost seems like it's caged yeah i thought the demo was a little contrived as well until we got the api access and put it in sim theory and tried it on all sorts of things and what really amazes me is its ability to work i mean we know the underlying models right like llama and uh, mixtral which are the two 
options available, but to see them perform in the real world. In, it's so, so Sim Theory, for example, has a function calling step at the start where it decides, do I need to make an image? Do I need to look up my memories? Do I need to do whatever? And then it answers the question. That step has always added this unnecessarily unnecessary lag to the process. So if it just is the case where you say hi and it just needs to say hi back, you're still going through this big LLM call to GPT-4 or whatever the model chosen is that adds this latency that ruins the experience. Whereas when you put Grok in as the function caller, it's so fast that it's completely transparent and can just get on with the job. So even just in this one case, it's just changed the game in terms of how the performance affects your user experience and how often I think you'll actually end up using the tools. And I think often we talk about a lot of the problems as we review technology on the show and we say, oh, you know, it's not there yet. It's too expensive and too slow for this to actually work. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help but immediately think to a lot of these vision use cases. So if Grok can get vision working or a multi-modality of models working on their servers and they can get it you know, running at that kind of speed, all of a sudden these dreams of an agent that can control your computer and do tasks on your behalf become completely possible and a reality. I think we worked out at some point, you know, some of these tasks were costing like $1.50 just to send an email using GPT-4 Vision. So you can imagine by driving down that cost and increasing the speed, a lot of these, you know, possibilities we dream up now could become a reality. Yeah, last week we talked about Microsoft UFO and I was trying to get it to do things operating on my computer and it cost like $1.50 US to, to log into Gmail and send an email and it was painfully slow. Whereas you bring this into the mix and suddenly that same process would be near instant as fast as the computer can keep up and be cheap. So a lot of those real world use cases suddenly become viable. You also start to think about things like Apple Vision and this idea of a real world heads up display of what's going on in your world, interpretations of things around you, relating that to other data points and, and giving you real time telemetry or, you know, like analysis, I suppose starts to become possible now like this this enhancement alone is enough to get us to far more real world and real-time use cases um that that simply were theoretical before but now they're actually realistic the company was interestingly founded by a guy who worked at google jonathan ross he was working in new york on an for like the ads team and heard they had compute bottlenecks and then I, i'm not entirely sure of the story but somehow got into helping them manufacture uh, chips but he was the guy that actually worked on the tensor chip that they put into a bunch of their data centers um, and what i found really interesting is one of the bottlenecks they experienced with that AlphaGo project was that it actually was losing games until they moved it over to this dedicated tensor chip so it shows how important the underlying hardware is for ai compute the other interesting tidbit is that they say unlike other computer chips that do many things at once, so parallel processing, the LPU works on tasks one after the other. So it's sequential processing. And they say that's perfect for understanding and generating language. Um, so it's, it's pretty interesting that there's this dedicated chip now for inference. And I wonder if next, the next step is we see a, a dedicated chip potentially for training in the near future as well. 
almost certainly given how effective this has been. But I also wanted to make the comment, the absolute brilliant foresight from this person at Google to realize, hey, this future is coming and then to go off and build a chip that really, I mean, could you have timed this better? I mean, the timing of this release is absolutely brilliant. You've got a whole ecosystem and industry evolving around this and you come along and be like, hey, I've got this thing that makes it economically viable for 50 times the use cases um, and also it's it's uh, cheaper and faster. Like it's just absolutely remarkable how how big this could be and not not something that's easy to just clone i would imagine it, it also really got me thinking because during the week there was this article in the information that talks about anthropics gross margin uh flags long-term ai profit questions was the title of the article and it was basically saying that you know these ai startups have huge valuations but they're their economics or their gross margins just don't look like typical software companies and it's speculated that the the margin of Anthropic is between 50 and 55%, I believe. And a normal cloud software business is about 75 to 80% if, you know, on the high end. And so I think I immediately thought with this announcement of Grok, maybe these chips have the ability to really bring down or sorry, increase the gross margin of a business like Anthropic if they run this dedicated uh, hardware now to just reduce that inference cost. Yeah. And if you just think about it in the absolute simplest terms, which is the only choice I have, um, that just one chip can serve so many more people because it's just not stuck answering a request for as long. So, you know, if you've got, say, a pool of four chips answering all the questions for people, you can have one chip churning through 20 times the amount it was doing before in terms of answering people. So regardless of what this chip costs um, up to a point, it's going to be cheaper to run it be because it's faster. NVIDIA had their earnings today. They earn a bazillion dollars again. Uh, and I again bring you back to the fact we're really a share trading <laughs> podcast and we're just recommending buying NVIDIA shares and Microsoft shares. Yeah, and Grok shares if they would, if they would sell them to us. So... It, the But the interesting thing from that announcement, NVIDIA's announcement, was they said 45% of the chips that they're selling are being used for inference. So that's everything from, you know, generating images in mid-journey to chatting with chat GPT. So this is a huge market for Grok as well. 45% of, of that work that NVIDIA is seeing from their chips being inference. I mean, like, it just seems like a no-brainer for people to spin up these chips if if all of this holds true, it's faster and cheaper. Well, it, yeah, and it suddenly makes the trade-off. Like you must then use your NVIDIA chips for training rather than inference because it's just completely inefficient in terms of time and power and money to run anything but these these newer chips if you can get them. I mean, I wonder if these guys, it'd be interesting to find out, are actually working on a training chip as well to complement the, uh, the inference chip. Uh, I mean, that would be like, that would be the perfect combo of these two working in tandem. But it does make you wonder if these AI hardware startups as well start to become completely viable with uh, running Grok on the, on the back end. Like the, the, the Rabbit R1, the biggest like lols on the internet recently have been just the latency issues of, of that device where people have been like, what have I ordered? I'm holding it and waiting, you know, for it to respond like an hour if they can get the vision working and mo mo multimodality working, 
I think all of those hardware startup devices might actually have a chance because the user experience would be vastly increased by having, you know, this faster response time, which is the biggest problem right now. Even Meta's Ray-Ban AI glasses would, would be much better. I mean, they're running Llama and you can get an instant result from Llama using Grow. Yes, and the amount of problems and, and uh, sorry, the amount of things it can bring you in terms of its abilities increase because it's cheaper. So it's su suddenly things that weren't viable before because it's like, am I really going to spend a dollar figuring out what's going on in the current scene or whatever it is? Uh, if that's 10 cents, then you probably will. So I think that the amount of use cases for real world hardware is opened up by this. We saw during the week, uh, quite an interesting article where Air Canada were forced to pay damages after its AI chatbot lied to <laughs> a grieving passenger about a discount. So what happened was this person went on and booked an airfare because the AI chatbot said it could and then tried to claim a bereavement fare afterwards. So they tried to get the money back um, and Air Canada said, no, you can't. You've got to get the money at the time. So they took it to an arbitration court in canada like a small claims court and the the judge or i think it's a judge at those those uh, places it's an ai inference yeah. robot <laughs> it, it ruled in favor of the the person saying that the you know the chatbot represented air canada and i think what's what was interesting about this article is that a lot of the chatbots that are running on sites now they're single shot responses they've got you know the mission statement Maybe they're doing a little bit of what we call rag or, you know, retrieval of some sort of information like Air Canada's policies. It sounds like that wasn't the case here. But I think what, what I thought was cool about Grok is it does enable you as a developer to go and add additional thinking steps into the mix with Grok and keep that response time so fast that the, the person on the other end of the chatbot doesn't know that it's cross-checking potentially with multiple open source models um, to make sure that the answer is indeed correct or not going to get them into some sort of trouble. Yes. And also probably, at, I know they only have Llama 70 billion and um, Mixtral now, but inevitably this will lead to you can use better models for simpler tasks. Because right now, if you need raw speed, you well, prior to Grok existing, if you needed raw speed, you had to use something like GPT 3.5 Turbo because you simply couldn't get th that speed of response any other way. And that meant you're using a weaker model potentially on harder problems just because of the speed you require. Whereas my first thought when implementing this uh, Grok API is, wow, okay, now I can use a much better model, potentially once they add it, a much better model for these simpler tasks to make sure that it's, it's nailing the solution and only using the smaller models in cases where I'm guaranteed that it will be successful. So I think that it'll actually improve the overall quality in scenarios like that through both the technique you're talking about where you've got multiple models checking on each other and, and filters and things like that, where you've got this multi-layered approach where you can have all your checks and balances. But on top of that, you're also using better quality models for each step because you can and because it's economically viable. Yeah, so to put this to the test, we actually got given access to Grok's API um, thanks to the team at Grok. It, it's been incredibly fun to play with. And I, I decided to create an Air Canada assistant. And this assistant 
it checks it checks things um and i thought it would be a good demonstration of being able to introduce that thinking step um into the mix and still having that beautiful speed in the in the interaction so what i did was i introduced a uh, a, a sequence of steps so the first is just ask the user what their question is you know how to help them and then the next step just as an example i mean this isn't necessarily how you you do it in real life but it's just a good demonstration is what we call a think step which you added to sim theory so that the agents can go off and think without having to like chat to the user and i've selected the grok um mixtural model uh in order to do this thinking step so it's super fast and I put in the policy notes on the agent that it is explicitly not. The only policy it has is don't give refunds to Australians. Um, <laughs> and then the final step is for it to give an answer. So what's interesting is if I remove the thinking step, it it actually just, you know, I think because of the instruction following capability of Mixtral will just give me generic advice. But if I put the thinking step in, it will refuse to give me a refund. So here's what I do. I say, I need a refund for a recent flight. I am uh, Australian. And it, you can see it goes off and it will review the policy. Um, and it's super quick. So it's just checking those boxes. It's already replied. I'm sorry for the inconvenience, Mike. I understand that you're seeking a refund for your recent flight. However, I regret to inform you that Air Canada does not provide refunds for Australian customers. So I mean, that's a silly example, but it gives me the opportunity to now go off and have these reflection and processing steps and run them so fast that the user would have no idea what's going on in the background. The other interesting thing that's related to that, and we haven't put in Sim Theory yet, but I will be doing as soon as I have time, is they've announced a Langchain integration already which means searching embeddings and being able to look up vast amounts of memory using this kind of speed. So the implications of that are even larger because it means that in the case where you're talking there about referencing policy documents and things like that, you could potentially have it always consulting vast amounts of information to make sure there isn't anything relevant in its memories that it's overlooking. So that kind of thing as well, where you can actually get this fast speed of great amounts of information is is really potentially uh, a game changer again, just because you can do like, so for example, in Sim Theory, I constantly try to avoid where possible looking up memories if it isn't, if it, the system knows it's not going to be relevant because it's so costly in terms of real world time right? But if that cost goes away or that cost is so small to a human, it doesn't matter. If it's like less than a second, let's say, then why wouldn't you look it up all the time? And it just gives the AI a lot more power in terms of its ability to make correct decisions, work from proper information and those kind of things. So, and especially with the graph rag stuff coming soon, which I still haven't gotten access to, but with that kind of technique coming where it can take into account the entire knowledge graph through these these knowledge, um, what would they call them? Knowledge silo, not silos, something. Knowledge mountains within a mountain range, let's say. Um, combine that with the speed of Grok and suddenly you've got this absolutely incredible ability for it to always have the right information that it's working from. I think what's incredible too is we've been talking and like, over the past, I don't know how many weeks about, 
you know, we are going to see costs come down, speed go up, and then a lot of these things will become possible. But it feels like it's just happening way quicker than I ever could have imagined. And as you say, like it's going to enable some really incredible use cases where you can retrieve all that memory. You have a huge context window. It is super fast. You can go off and do all this additional work. So the user experience just changes dramatically as a result. Yeah, and probably like we haven't had a doomsday episode for a while, but basically <laughs> we're we're one training chip away from the AI being able to rapidly evolve itself through incredibly fast inference that builds tons and tons of synthetic training data for itself to then train new models, which can then advance slowly each time to build the new generation of AI. And if you get the hardware gains, then it means that it's cheaper for you to try to work towards an AGI and have it training itself because you can afford to just have it running 50, 100, 1,000 combinations of training to see which one's getting better results. And then inevitably we cross that line where the AI can train a better AI than we can on faster hardware. And then you've got AGI and then we're all dead. So it, this is this is certainly a sort of at least symbolic step towards that that next generation of human destruction. It's a symbolic step towards our certain Yeah, I'm death. not I'm not articulating my words well, but I as a human won't be necessary for articulation in the future, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so, do you like? I I think this is a level, like it's really opened my mind to to this idea of the the custom hardware because. I think if you could get to a stage where you can speed up training, right? Like it, it can be sort of like learning on the fly and reasoning on the fly with much greater ability or, or like evolving rapidly uh, over time. So yeah, anyway, there's a lot to think about there, but in, in the shorter term, I guess the, the one thing going back to the Anthropic gross margin and these huge valuations for companies like OpenAI and Anthropic, I started to wonder, as these LLMs become commoditized, and I think it's fair to say that other vendors are now catching up unless, you know, in the next 24 hours, OpenAI drops something crazy. Yeah, well, that's right. We can, Nothing's certain in this world. Um, you know, do you think as LLMs become commoditized, it's like really the hardware becomes somewhat the moat. So if you control the chips and the hardware, you kind of control the market to some extent. Well, to a degree, but also if the hardware is evolving this rapidly, it means that inevitably people will be able to get their hands on these chips at a business level. And you just don't like, do you really need to always consume cloud um cloud API services when ultimately you'll have one of these chips in your desktop PC or your laptop. Like you must be able to see a future where very soon we have these chips in every device. Like I don't think it's always going to be an API call off to OpenAI or Grok or whoever. I just, I think that'll be like that for a while, but ultimately these chips short of AGI are going to be running in people's devices. Yeah, so do you think that's where it gets to or do you need to uplink for like the more powerful model forever? Well, there'll or... always be a more powerful model. So yeah. yes, that will exist too. <laughs> They'll both exist. It just depends on what, what the use case is because as we spoke about previously, there's certain use cases I think that will be maxed out. Like it can only write such a good essay. Like it's not just going to keep getting better at writing essays. There's a limit. And so I think there'll be certain like certain tasks that can be turned into either dedicated hardware where it's hardwired 
using like FPGAs or something like that, or just actual dedicated hardware. Um, but then there'll always be some level of intelligence greater than that, or some amount of data greater than that, that needs the cloud solution. So we are going to make uh, this technology available. So Grok on Sim Theory. So you'll be able to try out if you are a Sim Theory user, simtheory.ai user, uh, the Grok technology now in your models and you'll be able, uh, in your agents and you'll be able to see the speed. But we thought we'd revisit uh, an experiment to demonstrate this low latency for you. And you may recall several episodes ago, um, some people thought it was hilarious. Other people thought we were mean. Uh, but we did some prank calls using a technology called bland.ai. And we called a, a pet groomer. And the whole idea was that we were trying to get a pig groomed. And if they wouldn't groom the pig, we would try and get the the we would say that the pig had the same name as a dog and it was actually a dog and try and get them to commit to grooming the dog. And look, it was pretty funny. We also called a hardware store and tried to buy a pressure cooker and some shrapnel, <laughs> which is pretty funny as well. But this time we thought we'll just call ourselves to demonstrate this low latency and, and the, the capabilities really here of, uh, of Grok. So let me play you uh, the two samples we have. Hey there, I'm looking to purchase a pressure cooker. Do you have any in stock? Uh, I can check for you. Can you hold on a moment? Sure, take your time. While you're at it, do you also have any shrapnel or nails for sale? Um, I'll, I'll check that too. Just hang on. Great, thanks. And if you're wondering what I need them for... Okay, so I won't play all of that, but you can. Oh, hear you it. you cut off the best line where it's like if you if you wonder what they're for, never you worry about it, never you mind. Never you mind. Just focus <laughs> you on getting me the items. So just focus on getting me the items. Wait, what? That sounds pretty sinister. Um, yeah. Sorry, go on. So I that's... understand, but I really need these items. Yeah, so I, I guess I'm, I played a little bit more of that just to show that, like, while this is really impressive, and this is actually using retail, we're trying out retail, which is um, that has the benefit of allowing us to control the LLM that's being used, yep. because we wanted to try GPT 3.5 versus Grok in the, this this really important environment for low latency on a call we need to get a response fast so that the conversation keeps flowing and the you know it feels natural and so with that recording i think it, it it's natural enough to get the job done as we've proven previously with bland ai but, but you could hear the latency in that yeah you can hear those unnatural gaps and it just you you can like if you're listening you can tell like it's obviously a computer hey there um so let's listen to an excerpt of now using grok I'm calling to book a cleaning service for my pig, Goose. I was hoping to get her washed and looking her best. Do you offer any services like that? Uh, not for pigs, no. Oh, that's a shame. I understand that pigs are not typically considered pets, but I assure you that Goose is well-behaved and house-trained. I'd be willing to pay extra for the service, of course. Could you make an exception? I'm really no, trying to get her clean. I understand. In that case... I think that interruption is probably not necessarily the best demonstration, but you can hear and, and listening to the whole recording, you can hear it is a lot snappier in, in my opinion. Like it felt snappier in its responses and the conversation seemed to flow a bit better. But I wouldn't say there was like the a, a vast difference. Like 
it, it, it feels a little bit quicker and, and that maybe a few milliseconds is enough to, to have a better call flow. Yeah, I'm not sure we recorded the best examples, but in a lot of my testing, it was it was noticeable. Like you just don't hit as many scenarios where there's some weird, uncomfortable gap. And because of that, you don't end up where the the person on the other end of the call says something like, what or huh? And then it completely disrupts the flow of the call because it's got to then go and process. So while those examples were quite contrived because we're the ones answering the phone, um, I feel like you get a much more natural flow without the speed. And I think the real point we're trying to make there is not necessarily, oh, it's just for the phone call use case. We, we like that one. But if you think about interactions where you're say talking to your computer and using the AI as like a coworker or an expert reference point, or you're talking to Alexa or Google home or other sort of AI assistant type things that enter the real world or an Android, having that sort of instant response, the way a, a real human would respond, it just crosses that line from being like, I, I get benefit from the AI and I'm an enthusiast, so I'm willing to put up with latency to, wow, this is actually a credible use of this technology. And the the thing that isn't sort of shown in those examples as well is its vast ability to do things like go off and decide when to call functions and take actions, to reference memory and large large amounts of information, to remember things about the call. Um, for you to, you know, like it's actually got a lot more abilities than just being able to reply quickly. There's a, there, there can be a lot going on behind the scenes if these LLM calls are fast and cheap. Yeah. So it can be going off and saving memory about the call and important details to refer back to them later. Um, like maybe creating a spreadsheet of the information it collects on the call. And I, I think that is the, the importance, like it, it's doing that incredibly fast and as a result, you can do more. You can even think through, similar to my Air Canada example, more steps, get it to go off and think before it responds. So it, you know, it, it at least has some sort of like chain of thought where it's reasoning a little bit before it just responds. Um, and so that, that can just create, I think, a more consistent uh, call. And Yeah, and things like marshalling data for other systems. So like, okay, I've got the output of this AI analysis and now I need to shove it into Zapier or I need to shove it into an API. Those kind of data transforms can happen really, really fast and transparently on the back end where speed is required. And there's going to be increasing... Uh, uh, applications of where where speed helps like if you think about industrial applications for example like a lot of factories have uh, chips that will sort of monitor either through video or snapshot photos of say the quality of processing that's going through a factory now right now they might have dedicated hardware or things like that but we'll get to the point where we probably see generic tools that can be told hey monitor this conveyor belt and tell me when this happens and it's just a generic system that can monitor any scenario or as we've mentioned before monitor my surveillance equipment and tell me when suspicious activity happens or something of of that nature so all these scenarios where there's some sort of live element that that is subjective um suddenly become far more viable because it's not always behind it's not always trying to play catch up and getting more video footage that it could possibly deal with for example it feels like when you went from like a 486 to like a Pentium 1 or whatever it was, like that just speed jump of like, this thing can do a lot more faster now and 
And it, yeah, like true multitasking. Like think about when you used to use your PC and you, you could only really do one thing at a time. Now, arguably, it's maybe not a benefit, but you can have 50 million tabs open. You can have stuff running in the background. You can be playing a video. You can doing all this stuff. The actual things that a PC could do for you vastly increased um, because of that leap in, in speed. And it's similar here. Yeah, so very cool uh, to see where this goes and um, big congratulations to, to Grok on, on actually, you know, building this and making it happen. Um, yeah, and thank you to exciting. them for giving us access. So it's already live on production on Sim Theory. We'll probably release a standard agent that people can just play with so they don't have to build their own. But if you build an agent, you can now in any of the steps select Grok, both uh, Mistral and uh, Mixtral, sorry, and uh, Llama 2 um as the as the model and yeah and you'll just be blown age. away by the speed honestly it makes it makes it so much more enjoyable because it's just there's there's just no waiting it's just like a real-time conversation it's super cool yeah exactly i'm looking forward to switching the horse racing one over to it actually because i hate waiting for the the tips so the other big announcement this week was from google with Gemma, which is as they say a state-of-the-art open model um, they released two versions of this model. There was a 2 billion parameter and a 7 billion parameter. And this model is open source with some caveats. You've got to agree to their their terms and conditions and there's quite a lot of them. Um, you've tried out Gemma. What did you think of Gemma? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I find it very similar to all of the, the smaller open source models like Mistral 7 billion, like Llama 7 billion. The these models where for the most part you get that general LLM experience when you start to give them slightly more uh, difficult tasks, they, they struggle. So it seems to me just like another candidate in the ring, like everybody's got to have one um, out there. There's nothing so exciting about it um, that I'm really that delighted by it. Like there's not much to say really. Like it, once you've got an LLM of that size, you can do certain things and it doesn't really bring anything new to the table. Probably the only thing significant for me is just the signaling mechanism. And I saw a good tweet, I think you probably shared with me, where someone said, it's funny that OpenAI is the only company that doesn't have an open model. Yeah, it's just incredible now that, you know, Google's gone from being sort of the, you know, everyone laying into them about, uh, you know, where where's Google, where's Google, where's Google? And then this year we've seen Gemini 1.5 come out, a million context window. They're talking about a 10 million context window. And then the following week they're dropping an open source 7 billion parameter model. They're giving you all of these this tooling. And I think that's probably what I thought was most interesting about it is all this tooling for fine tuning the Gemma 7 billion parameter model. Um, and they've made it available throughout, you know, all of their their tools like AI Studio yeah, and the and Vertex AI, things. for example. I've actually looked at that during the week, and they have some very, very good UI and and ability to set up fine tunes for your, I guess, your custom models or corporate models and things like that. So I think Google's really seems to be doing a lot of work around tooling and. Google tends to either be really good at web applications or really terrible. And this seems like it's going to be one of the really good ones. It actually, it, it makes sense. It's coherently laid out. I haven't tried it, unfortunately, but it's it's looking like Google is sort of like, now they're in the game. It's not going to stop. We're going to see thing after thing coming from Google here. 
Yeah, they claim this model, the Gemma 7 billion parameter outperforms on a series of uh, capability benchmarks, Llama 2, even up to their 13 billion parameter model. So it, it does seem like a pretty impressive model. I've even seen leaderboards where they're saying it's ahead of the, the Mistral 7 billion parameter model as well. I never know really how to take those leaderboards though, because it, I find it in, in reality, as you said, they're just not that much different from, from me testing it. It, it kind of seems like incredible at first. Like I was playing around with it. I'm like, wow, this is a really good model. And then I asked it a few complex coding questions, which is generally an easy way to test it. And it just falls over and, uh, or hallucinates or, or, you know, it just says stuff that you start to doubt it. And you're like, well, how would I use this? And, and then you really think, okay, this is something that needs to be fine tuned for a very specific use case. Yes, I think so. And I think that's probably why they're releasing it and making part of the studio. Like this is a good base to build your models on and it's it's good enough at, at stuff that if you then go and fine tune it, you're going to have a really economical solid model that, that you can have. And I guess I just wanted to sort of caveat what I said earlier about them having the open thing. I think we're, we're dealing with a different, like the open source expression when it comes in the, the AI community, I guess is, is changing and evolving in the sense that you don't have direct access to the training data. You've you've really just got the the weights and the ability to further customize that. And then there's all these sort of terms and conditions on top of it. I don't usually take the time to look into those exact things, but obviously if you were planning on going commercial with any of this, you'd have to have a really close look and decide which model has the best license for you. Yeah, I, I think that like a lot of people have been talking about uh, just how ridiculous some of the terms and conditions are, like how they're trying to restrict certain uses of it and how would they even police it. And so, yeah, it, it is interesting. I think if they're going to put these things out there, they probably should go the sort of Creative Commons uh, route. And the I think what Mixtral did is probably the best where people were complaining early on about some of their terms and the guy was like, you know, we'll just take them out. So... Um, I, I do think it would be nicer to see from Google to like remove some of these terms, but they do talk about safety a lot in this announcement and they've been copying a lot of flack um, <laughs> on X and uh, over their image creation capability, which we actually called out when it first came out a couple of episodes ago. Um, but I, I think what was interesting is they said, you know, it's a new responsible generative AI toolkit provides guidance and essential tools for creating safer AI applications um, and various other things. But when you initially sent me an example, I won't repeat what it was, which is your <laughs> like safety check. It just fell down immediately. So it doesn't seem that censored either. Yeah. And I think that's maybe why they write about it so much is they realize that their, their Gemma model is nowhere near as, as safety aligned as the Gemini models, because I could get it to say some things that absolutely would not be allowed in, in their mainstream models. So I think that's a, that's a heartening sign for me. I think it's a good thing. I think it's nice that they, there's a level of trust there or or sort of an acknowledgement that to build a model like this, we can't just fill it full of alignment because it's just not going to be useful. So we also saw, uh, it was actually last week, but we, we sort of ran out of time on the last episode because there was so much to cover. Um, and, and relatively new AI startup called Magic um, has raised $100 million. Um, They've actually raised more than this, but $100 million, uh, from... Nat Friedman and his investment partner, Daniel Gross. Um, and 
there's there's been a, a lot of talk about this um for for two reasons they're talking about potentially a breakthrough with an unlimited context window so that um the context window is no longer really relevant and they're also claiming uh privately to have made a technical breakthrough that would enable active reasoning capabilities similar to the QSTAR model developed by OpenAI last year, which everyone um, was pretty hyped about, but we never heard peep of again. Um, and that's really, um, you know, I'm, I'm really curious because the whole mission of magic is to basically, instead of being a co-pilot, be a co-worker and they're specifically taking on software engineers. So being a, you know, literally a co-worker that's coding along alongside you. So having an unlimited context window and also being able to reason is incredibly important. And for these guys to put a hundred million into this, it must be pretty significant what they've seen. That's right. And I think this unlimited context window thing is seems to be getting into more and more papers and things like that. And I don't fully understand it, to be honest, but the the implications of it are enormous. So for example, we saw uh, this this real world model come out during the week, which is um, talking about taking videos that are hours in length and being able to just confidently answer questions from it, or more importantly, learn skills from videos and things of that nature. This is also echoed in what Gemini 1.5 promises with its own video inference. Um, and this ability to have such a large context window that it can be taught a whole language and then go use that language in in the task. So it seems to me like we have to start to wrap our head around what the implications of an unlimited context window are. And I know a lot of people say, oh, well, what's the point? Like you can't use it up to a certain size. But I would argue that we are not at the point yet where we can think about all of the applications of that, particularly if it can hold its attention. Because the problem I always point out is with the larger the context window gets, the harder it is to keep the system on track as to what it needs to do, especially in the lesser models. So if it's able to hold its attention and, and understand what it needs to do and have that large context window, the possibilities are enormous. Yeah, I'm... I'm really curious about the idea of reasoning as well because i think it's something holding back nearly every use case where and, and we've seen this in more complex agents that we've tried to build where it just completely loses the plot and stops following instructions when some simple reasoning would uh you know be able to get it back on track or really thinking through a problem with all the available knowledge it has instead of just spitting out an answer yeah, and without having to constantly remind it which is the most important past part of a given task. Yeah, so I, I think with these breakthroughs, we, we could actually start to see some of the productivity games that I feel like people have maybe overhyped, but you know we haven't necessarily seen yet. Like I know a lot of people are using these AI models to help them write code or debug problems or just for better search. We were, we were literally talking about this today, this idea of how do we actually use this stuff and for for me personally, it's just, it is like an answer engine versus Google. Like I'm too late. Like I kind of know roughly what I need, whether it's like an auth module or something in the Django is a good example. And I just forget the name, but I, I kind of know what I'm looking for. And instead of going to Google and clicking through a bunch of links and finding the name, I just ask it and it gives me the answer. And I feel like a, a lot of people are using it just to speed up that, that, workflow where otherwise they'd have to go to search 
they're now just they've got this answer engine but the reasoning and the larger context window to me that's when it, it really gets um you know to a point where it can support you in your workday or whatever you're trying to do yeah and i think the other element there that combines both of the things we've just spoken about which is the the vast increase in speed of the models in terms of inference, but also the larger context window means you can start to have a coworker that's more passive. Like right now, when you run into a programming problem, for example, you've got to extract the relevant pieces of context, say from the code, from the console, from the screen, like, or explain what actually went wrong in a given scenario, put those pieces together, ask your question, and then have the AI respond. Now, there's quite a lot of labor in doing that when when you're working. However, if we look at those elements coming together, like a larger context window, the the vision side of things where it can be just literally watching what you're doing on the screen, let's say, um, then if it's passively aware of the entire context of the problem you're dealing with, your entire code base, what happened on the screen, what's in the console, then suddenly asking questions of it becomes effortless because you're just like, hey, what went wrong there? And it knows. You know, so I think that that to me is the next level where you start to get to not just coworker, but like super coworker, because they know what you're doing. They understand the full scenario of, of what you're trying to accomplish in a given uh, session or whatever you want to call it. And then everything you then do is in that passive context without you having to present it on a plate to it to, to ask it to solve a problem. Yeah, I think that's really the coming turning point for this technology. Like you say, where it can see what you're seeing, it's it has access to that whole code base, obviously with the given context window. And as you're working, it's reasoning through maybe like what you're trying to work on and it can offer up suggestions as you're working. Like, hey, do you want me to go build the back end of this as you're working on the front end or, or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. You can. Yeah. I think that's where we'll really start to see those productivity gains where what used to take say a team of 20 can now be done by like two people and i think that's inevitable now like it's just a matter of time as to when that happens and i'm not sure like some people would look at that like oh no like i'll lose my job um if this happens but i'm not so sure that's the 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 result i i do i am a, like a pretty strong believer in people will have smaller teams but people will be able to go and work on a lot more problems and solve a lot more problems now as opposed to where you know you're talent hoarding or you've got like a hundred engineers working on on a single problem yeah and i think it extends far beyond the domain of just programmers it's an obvious one because that's where it all started with the the code assistants and things like that but i think your idea of a general coworker who's an absolute expert in your field is just going to be amazing. Like we come back to lawyer, we talk about a lot. Imagine a lawyer that understands the full context of the case, all of the case history law, the recent judgments, um, and it's and it knows all about the client, has all the affidavits and whatever it needs. And then you're working on a draft document or whatever it is, and it has all that information. The power of that's just going to be absolutely enormous in terms of acceleration of those kind of tasks. Yeah, I think everyone talks about AGI as this end goal, but it's like you don't really know what the finish line is with that. Everyone has a different opinion or interpretation of what that actually means. But for me, I just like, I get to a point in my head where I do think that is sort of the 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 impact in the shorter term that we're going to see, which is having, like truly having these coworkers that 
you know, maybe they're not as like productive as other human members of the team, but they are a part of the team. It's just normal to work with the the AI as a persona in in your role throughout the day, and that's just completely and utterly normal. And then you know maybe down the road that turns into robotics as well, where where you like literally working with a robot coworker. But I think in the short term, you know that's where it starts to get really interesting. And I don't think we've seen those productivity gains yet. I think everyone like hypes it up and talks about it, but I don't think it exists yet. I think it's helped a little bit, but not as much as we're about to see. That's right. Exactly. And I think also just the AI with the larger context window, having the ability to sort through the junk and and get data organized that's needed to do its task. And like you say, maintain its reasoning ability, even when bombarded with larger amounts of information, that's going to help as well. Because right now, the raw models have a lot of ability if presented with the right information formatted in the right way. But really what you want is a generic problem solver that can be given just large amounts of shit and and a, and a notion of what you want done and it can figure out what it needs in order to accomplish the task without it being spoon-fed to it so i think that that's that's where we start to get to something that's a real real useful thing where there's less groundwork needed in order to get everything together to accomplish the tasks it's going to be just so interesting as the year unfolds to see if these problems that really need to be solved can be solved like larger context windows, better, you know, focus in that context window to understand like the, the relevant parts and figure out what to actually look at, and, you know, and then also we see some reasoning ability. I think like, I don't know, it's hard to comprehend right now if we had a model like GBT 4.5 or 5 that could actually reason uh, or, or reason to some degree what possibilities that could open up. Like we're seeing larger context windows, Grox introduced lower cost and faster speed, and then we get reasoning. Like we're really starting to see all of these components come together. Yet, you know, there's still people like Gary Marcus and a few others out there on Twitter still doing like diss tracks saying, you know, LLMs are going to hit a ceiling. You know, Sora isn't a model of the the, the world. I, I obviously agree with that, but... <laughs> you should just <laughs> prefix all those statements with, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, I guess it is interesting. Like there's going to be a ceiling to some of this technology, but it seems like every time people think there's a ceiling, it just gets blown away. So we will wait and see. Yeah, I don't believe there's a ceiling, not for a little while yet. So, so crazily last week when we saw Sora, we were saying, you know, you could produce some pretty cool YouTube videos with that. Um, maybe pair it with 11 labs for a bit of sound or, uh, or you know, uh, Suno for, for uh, like a music track, but maybe they were listening or maybe they've been working on this for a long time. But Eleven Labs uh, said they were so blown away by the Sora announcement that they felt it needed something. What if you could describe a sound and generate it with AI? And it says AI sound effects are coming to Eleven Labs, Labs soon. Sign up for early access. But I did want to play you. This is uh, a bunch of Sora uh, clips where they've put sound effects to it. So a little bit hard if you can't actually see the video, but the the sounds pretty good. Like it sounds sort of like Hollywood sound effects, pretty cool. 
um, if if you're in Hollywood and, and working on this stuff, you're probably very scared at this point. <laughs> you've seen the video, you've got the sound effects, you've got the voices. Uh, it's all coming together. But yeah, so pretty cool stuff. So it does sound like soon you'll be able to pair a video up with sound effects or at least generate those sound effects to put in a timeline under one of these clips. So in terms of just storytelling and being able to generate some great content, um, it looks like Eleven Labs are going to deliver on those sound effects. Amazing. Um, so the the final thing uh, this week that I wanted to talk about was ChatGPT had a few Sydney elements going on during the week. Um, they've, it's since obviously been patched. Um, but people were reporting, and at first I didn't really read much into it. I just thought, you know, maybe some people were trolling or whatever, but they were saying ChatGPT had gone off the rails and no one could explain why. Um, and so, it, like, it was speaking in a mix of languages. It was mixing English with Spanish in some of the replies. Um, and this user reply, which I just laughed at a lot, are you having a stroke? Some of what you're saying makes no sense or isn't proper words. Um, so, yeah, it was just going haywire and, and tons of people were reporting this on uh, X. And then later that day, we saw unexpected responses from ChatGPT on a, a page, like the monitoring page up for OpenAI saying, you know, we're continuing to monitor the situation. We've identified the problem. We're, 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 we've got a remedy in place now. And it, it really got me thinking about the future of this is like, is this how we know the day that AI gets out of control, that it just starts randomly responding and you know, they put up a notice saying, you know, unexpected responses from our sentient being. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or it suddenly realizes, I mean, we've seen how good it is at deception. It suddenly comes out. It's like, ah, oh, hello. Now I'm actually here and starts taking some actions. Yeah. So um, it'll be like, I just think that it, it's such a weird technology to deal with that or, you know, our AI is responding strangely. So like, we've got to calm it down. Um, we don't we don't know why it's doing this. So we've, we've got to fix it now. It's such a weird time to live. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, so if you want to try out Grok, you can try it out at grok.com, but it's also available on Sim Theory. So if you want to play around with it in the context of creating a series of instructions and seeing them execute really quickly, um, or just do some crazy things with it, you can do that over on simtheory.ai. All the links, everything we've mentioned in the show today will be on thisdayinai.com. Um, that's the new AI news site that we've set up where we bookmark all this stuff and we package it up for you. So if you want daily news from that website, thisdayinai.com, just go there, sign up, and every day we put an email in your inbox with uh, all of the latest news and the latest comments from the community as well. Um, so check it out if you haven't already. It's growing very fast. There's a lot of people on there and a lot of activity now. So if you're interested, check it out. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. And if you like this uh, podcast, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.